0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message moving forward. Okay, so I wanna know how many of you have heard the name Eric Little? If you've heard the name Eric Little, let me see your hands, Eric Little. Okay, I see a few hands. Uh, Eric Little was a devout Christian from Scotland who became famous when he ran in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Because of this guy's extraordinary speed, they nicknamed him the Flying Scotsman. They named him after a passenger train that traveled from Edinburgh, Scotland, to London, England. One of Little's most famous statements is this. He said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now when I run, I feel pain. (laughs) How many runners are out there, right? But this guy, when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. Well, praise the Lord, right? Good for him. Now, as preparations were being made for the 1924 Olympics, everybody thought that Eric Little would run in his best event, which was the 100-meter dash. He was considered by some to be the fastest man in the world in 1924 at the 100-meter dash. He was expected to win the race hands down. But when he discovered that the qualifying heats for the 100-meter dash were gonna take place on a Sunday, he refused to run. Little believed that Sunday was a day of rest and it would dishonor the Lord if he took part in that race. And so because of his stand, for his personal conviction, because of his stand, people got really upset, right? Kind of like how some people get upset when uh, they, they... want a chicken sandwich and they go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Have you ever been there before? I want a chicken sandwich, but there's nobody here. What's going on? Well, it's closed, right, because the founder of Chick-fil-A also had the same personal conviction. Now, of course, the anger, which was much more intense in 1924, there was people who were calling Eric Little a traitor to his country because he would not run on Sunday. But how many of you believe that you gotta admire a man who'll take a stand for his personal convictions? I mean, where are people like that today? And so, Little won back the hearts of the Scottish people later in the Olympic games, when he ran in the 400 meter final. In that race, he won the gold. And not only did he win the gold, he set a new world record. He returned home as a national hero, but but here's one of the things I love about this guy. Instead of continuing a promising career as a world-class athlete, instead of chasing riches and fame, he went to China as a missionary. The quote that I had up there earlier was actually incomplete. As the story goes, and maybe you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire and you remember this, But as the story goes, his sister didn't want him to run at all. His sister didn't want him to be a part of the Olympics. She wanted him to pursue God's calling on his life and go to China as a missionary immediately. But Eric Little said to his sister, here's the whole quote, I believe God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure, and so he ran in the Olympics, he won the gold for the glory of God, and then he went and joined his parents in the nation that he was born in, in China. He went there, he served the Lord and the Chinese people for many years, but after Japan invaded China, eventually Eric Little was taken captive and put into a Japanese internment camp. Thank God his wife and his children were able to get to Canada before all of that happened. Now here's another thing I love about this guy. So he's a POW, he's in a Japanese internment camp. And you know what he did? Instead of giving in to discouragement. Now some of you guys gotta listen to me because right now you're discouraged because of things going on in your life. Think about Eric Little. He's in a Japanese internment camp. He's a POW. Instead of giving in to discouragement, you know what he does? He diligently serves the other POWs in the name of Jesus and he's known for his cheerful attitude. And so in February of 1945, at the age of 43, after many hardships and a severe illness, he died of a brain tumor in that Japanese internment camp. There's a picture of him just before he passed away. There's lots of biographies about Eric Little's life, I'd encourage you, by the way, quick side note, it's not in the notes, but I wanna say this, I would encourage you, some of you, to stop watching so much junk on TV. In fact, we shouldn't watch any junk that's on TV, and and, and maybe start reading some biographies of amazing Christian men and women in the past to give you inspiration to live for the Lord in this generation. Maybe turn off the junk TV. Maybe stop playing all the video games and maybe get serious about your walk with Jesus Christ and get a little help from people who were successful by the power of the Holy Spirit in the past. None of that's in the notes. All that's free. But. But if you read a biography or two on Eric Little's life, here's what you're gonna find out. This guy lived by four absolutes. He lived by absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. And it's no wonder the Lord used him in such a great way. Because he ran hard for the Lord. Because he ran hard for the Lord on the track, and because he ran hard for the Lord as a disciple of Jesus Christ, no doubt in February of 1945, when he saw Jesus face to face, he heard those immortal words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so in ancient Greece, every two years, the Greek city-states had their own Olympiad. It was called the Isthmian Games, and the Apostle Paul was very well aware of them. In fact, when you read the Apostle Paul's teachings, it seems as if he enjoyed the Isthmian games that took place every two years in the city of Corinth, and he especially loved the foot races. The reason we know that is because the Apostle Paul used the foot races in the Isthmian games as a metaphor for running the race of life, and he encouraged Christians to run hard for the Lord. Now in our day, in, in various events, uh, there's three people who get prizes. There's the gold, there's the silver, and there's the bronze, but in the first century, only one person received a prize. I want you to look at uh, what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, capture the passion behind the words. He said, do you not know, and he's speaking to a local church like our local church, He's speaking to Christians like you and I. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only, how many get the prize? One. And so run. Ladies and gentlemen, we only have 70, 80, 90, 100 years maybe by the grace of God or perhaps 43 years or perhaps less than that. We only have one life. It'll soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ was going to last. And so Paul says, run, run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, get serious about your faith. Stop adhering to churchianity and just coming in a room and hearing a message and going home. No, get involved in true Christianity and be a disciple of Christ. Run in such a way as to get the prize. He says, everyone who competes in the games, the Isthmian games, goes into strict training. I mean, they get serious. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that's gonna last for how long? Forever. Now, some of you are new to the Bible and new to church, and so I don't want you to misunderstand. Salvation is absolutely a free gift. The same apostle who wrote those words also said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so you've heard me say it a thousand times, and I'll say it again because I never want to be accused of preaching a false gospel. We are absolutely saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But here's my point this morning, that after we get saved, ladies and gentlemen, we need to run hard for our king. We need to run hard for the Lord. Why? So that we can keep our salvation, Pastor Mike? No, no. <laughs> Peter told us in 1 Peter 1, 1.5 that we are kept by the power of God through faith. And so we run. What does that mean? We run. It's a metaphor. That means that we love, we serve, we give, we mentor, we teach, we pour out our heart, we pour out our sweat, we pour out our time. Why? For the glory of God. That's why. We live for the glory of God not for ourselves. And so the ancients ran for a perishable crown that didn't last. It was a wreath made of pine branches. But we run for an eternal crown that's going to last forever. A crown that one day at the Bema seat, we're going to cast at the feet of Jesus Christ. Because how many of you guys believe that Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise and our life and our worship? Everybody right now should be clapping their hands and praising the Lord because Jesus Christ is worthy of our lives. I want you guys, it's my prayer today, I've been praying all week, that this would not just be another sermon we hear with our ears, but the Holy Spirit of God would touch all of our hearts in every single service, and we would be moved by what the Bible teaches, and we would be the church that God wants us to be in this generation. And so... The question is, will the race get hard? I'll let you guys answer that. Is the race hard? (laughs) Yeah. Just like actual running is hard. Those of you who run, you know. You know how hard it is. Now when I run, I do two things so I won't quit because you guys who run, you know your body's screaming at you, stop, what are you doing? And so I put worship music in my ears really loud. And as I'm running, I'm worshiping the Lord. That inspires me to keep going. The second thing I do, I like to do, I like to think of Jesus at the finish line. And he's like, come on, you can do it. And that helps me continue to run. And likewise, in the race of life, If we live lives that worship and honor the Lord and if we stay focused on Jesus Christ, how many of you guys know the Holy Spirit is gonna empower us and he is gonna inspire us to finish well for the Lord? And so as a church, everybody say the word church. What does our race involve? So many different ideas about church. So what does our race involve? Well, the answer to that, to that question can be found in our mission statement. This is why we get up in the morning right here. Why is Calvary Port St. Lucie here? We exist to help people of all ages. That's why we built a school across the street, because the little ones need to be discipled too. We exist to help people of all ages become lifelong followers of Christ. So what is the race that God has called us to run? What is our mission? It's right there, as clear as day. And so here at Calvary PSL, if you're new, here's what you need to know, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who became incarnate. In other words, God, the eternal God, took on human flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal God came from heaven to earth, and he sacrificed his life on a Roman cross to pay for our sins. And then he rose from the dead three days later, victorious over sin and death, and he gave the church a mission. The mission is to help people of all ages, men, women, teenagers, boys and girls, become lifelong followers of Christ. This is why we exist, this is why the church is here. And so someone says, well where do you get that mission statement? From the lips of Jesus Christ. Please now look at Matthew 28, the verses that this church was founded on 16 and a half years ago. Matthew 28, we'll start in verse 16. So many people have so many different agendas. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our agenda right here. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And by the way, he didn't say, stop. Don't worship me, only worship God. Have you never read the 10 commandments before? Or the first commandment? No, he accepted the worship because he's God. If someone believes that, please say amen. amen. But some doubted. There's always a few in the crowd. Verse 18 And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the words of Jesus Christ lead us to our next point. What is our mission? Our mission, ladies and gentlemen, is to fulfill the great commission. Go therefore, And make disciples of all nations. Now, some in the church act as if this is the great suggestion. You know, you can do it if you want to, or you can just come to church and, you know, hear motivational speeches about how you can be a better you or whatever. No, that's not our agenda. And so it's not the great suggestion. It is a actually one commandment, okay, so in the grammatical structure, in the Greek language the grammatical structure of this great commission, we see one command surrounded by three participles. What's the one command in the grammatical structure? I have it underlined. It's make disciples. What are the three participles? The three participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. And so he said, go, go. The word go there is actually a present participle. What Jesus was actually saying was, as you are going into all nations, make disciples. Now now listen to me. As you are going into how many nations? All. Oh, there's the missionary call for the church that we're to take the good news of Jesus to the whole world. Why is this lost in our generation today? And so we're to take the good news to the whole world. Peter told us in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I love that verse, why? Because it shows us, it reveals to us the heart of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. What does that mean? That means that God does not want anybody to go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to die in their sins. This is why the doctrine of double predestination that extreme Calvinists hold to is is, is wrong. God did not predetermine to save some and then predetermine, I'm gonna damn these people. I'm gonna create them so that they can go to hell. No, a 10,000 times, no. God is not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We got good news to take to the whole world. And so what did the disciples do? They didn't stay in Jerusalem. They went to Judea and Samaria, and they went to the uttermost parts of the world. And so my prayer is that God would touch some of your hearts and some of you would become missionaries like Eric Little and take the gospel to the nations. You say, who, me? Yeah, you. That you would give up everything. That maybe you would stop trying to pursue the American dream and just let it all go and follow the Lord's leading to another country and pour out your life to serve people and to serve the Lord. Where is that today? in this generation of the church. Why, isn't, why are people responding and taking the gospel around the world? It's because we bought into the lie that church is all about coming and hearing a motivational speech so that we can be richer and more powerful in this life. Wrong gospel. We need to take the gospel to the nations. And I'm asking God to touch some of your hearts. And some of you right now are thinking, don't ask God to touch my heart, please. <laughs> I am. I am. Just think, at the Bema Seat of Christ, when you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, how amazing that'll be. You say, I'm gonna leave my family, my friends, my job. Yeah, for Jesus Christ, who's supposed to be number one in our lives. And my prayer is that the rest of us who stay home, that we'll be faithful to share the gospel in this part of the world right here. We live in a mission field right here. And I'm so grateful that our, our Calvary group that I'm a part of, are, we're going today, this afternoon. I'm so glad that we've been able to, um, and we've been doing this. And so I'm so grateful that we've been able to um, partner with a great ministry in Fort Pierce called Graceway Village. And so we go, we send our groups, we send our people to Graceway Village. We make meals or people who are in dire poverty, and then we go out to the streets of Fort Pierce, knock on doors, and we give free meals. And then guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna ask them, can I pray for you for anything? And then that's gonna open a door, and we, if God opens the door and they're open, we're gonna share Jesus Christ with these people today. And my hope and my prayer, groups, if you're in a group, is that you guys will start doing the same thing. That all of our groups would start serving with GraceWay Village, spreading the good news. First, you meet their physical need, and then you talk them about their spiritual soul. It's what we're supposed to do. And so, another great way to share your faith is to do the three I's. I've talked about this before: intercede, invest, and invite. And so. God's put somebody in your heart, praise the Lord. Begin to intercede for them. Begin to pray for them, because how many of you guys know that no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws the person? So pray and ask the Lord to begin to move in their heart. Intercede, and then then, um, invest. Invest in a relationship with them. Now listen. I am not advocating that you invest in a relationship where someone's sin is gonna begin to influence your life. No, friendship with the world is enmity towards God. I'm not saying that, I'm saying invest in a relationship where the Holy Spirit can shine his light through your life and your lips to this person's life. Intercede, invest, and then invite. They're right there on your seats. Invite them to one of our four services. And see if they come. And guess what? If they come, they're gonna hear the gospel here. But I'd encourage you to learn how to share the gospel yourself. And I don't wanna ask anybody, I don't want anybody to raise their hand right now. Just answer this question in your heart Do I know how to share the gospel? If if the answer is no, let me give you a quick tool GodQuestions.org. Go to GodQuestions.org and type in the question What is the Romans' road to salvation? There's a little video there. It's gonna share, tell you how to share your faith. It's verses from the book of Romans that share the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Memorize those verses and then in conversation with people as God leads, man, share the gospel with people. Listen to the words of Jesus. All authority's been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and Make disciples, there's the commandment. All right, so what is a disciple? Very important that you understand. We'll put it on the screen. A disciple is a learner or a pupil. That's what the Greek word originally means, but I love the fact that got questions elaborated on it because when you read the Bible, you see the definition is broader than that. And so a disciple is a follower. Can you guys say the word follower? And by the way, you can't follow Jesus till you meet Jesus, and so if you're not sure of your salvation, you need to meet Jesus. You gotta have a divine encounter with him, and if you go to that Romans Road tool I gave you earlier this afternoon and and watch that thing, and then turn to Christ in repentance and faith, meet Jesus Christ, but then you follow him. And so a disciple is a follower, someone who adheres completely to the teachings of another, making them his or her life rule, or the um, the rule for his life and conduct, okay? So we see this in ancient Judaism. Did you know that Jesus was not the only rabbi who had disciples? (laughs) Do you guys know that there was hundreds of disciples that had their, uh, hundreds of rabbis that had their disciples? And so follow me here. Each rabbi had a group of disciples. Now what did those disciples do? They followed that rabbi around. They learned from that rabbi, and then they obeyed that rabbi's teachings. All right, you guys can answer out loud. Who is our rabbi? Who is our teacher? Tell me. Jesus Christ. I hope none of you are thinking a man right now or a woman. Eh, False answer. Our teacher, our rabbi, our discipler is Jesus Christ, who by the way, post-Pentecost, lives right here in our hearts. He's our discipler, he's our Lord, and we're his disciples, and we need to follow him. How do you follow him? By learning from him and obeying his teachings, and thank God, his teachings are right here in the word of God. And So this is what we're supposed to be doing. And so this is way more than just being a convert to Christianity, this is being a lifelong follower of Christ who said, all authority's been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Listen to this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's that second participle, right? So one command, make disciples, surrounded by three participles as you are going and now baptizing In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so through baptism, ladies and gentlemen, we are identifying with the true God who we know through the progressive revelation of the New Testament is a triunity. God is a trinity. We believe, because the Bible says it, in one God, who is eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so through baptism, we absolutely identify with the Trinity, and we especially identify with the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. We identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. This is why sometimes you hear the pastor say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his revelation that is absolutely biblical. It's based on Romans chapter six, verses three and four. If you have not been baptized, church family, what's the big word? Go ahead. Since. That that encourages me, by the way, you guys are listening. Not infant baptism, it's not in the Bible. If you haven't been baptized since you've committed your life to Christ, go to calvarypsl.com, click on next steps, scroll down to get baptized, click the button, follow the directions, we would love to dunk you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the next first Thursday service. Three participles, as you're going, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, listen to this, teaching them, teaching them. Third participle to observe all things that I've commanded you. And so teaching speaks of the necessity of biblical instruction to help disciples grow. Now right now, if you're listening to me, say amen. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy. The church has gotten off base. The church is all about all these different things. Listen to this. Paul says to the young pastor, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Now, if that sounds pretty important and pretty weighty, um, can you say amen? Amen. I charge you in the presence of God, pastor. Here it is, verse two. Preach the word. (laughs) What happened to this? Right here. Notice I have it highlighted because I'm a pastor. <laughs> Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. The time is coming when people will not sit in this room and listen to me go verse by verse through a passage or a book of the Bible. Why? Because they want to hear stuff about them. (laughs) It's me, church. It's what can you do for me? And Paul says, no, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It's happening today, ladies and gentlemen. We've gotten away from the preaching and teaching of the word of God, why? Because we become people pleasers instead of God pleasers. We gotta get back to the Bible. We gotta teach the Bible. And some people say, if you teach the Bible, they'll be bored to tears, they'll never come back. Bye! We're gonna preach the word in this place. We're gonna teach God's word in this place. And that leads you to your next point. The entity that Christ chose to carry out his command to make disciples is the church. And so the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God descended from heaven and dwelt the believers. And all of a sudden, the church explodes and it goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, eventually to the uttermost part of the earth. The church flourished, why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what's the church? I know, I know this is basic, but some of you are new. Okay, the church, ecclesia, is a called out group or assembly. It's called the body of Christ in Colossians 1.18. Dr. Charles Ryrie defined the church as that spiritual organism of which Christ is the head, and is composed of all regenerated people from Pentecost to the rapture. Okay, so please everybody look at me. You have the big C church, and the big C church is the universal church. It's made up of regenerated or born again people all across the world, that's the big C church. But then you have the little C church. The little C church is the local churches. They're smaller expressions of the big sea church. In the New Testament days, you had local churches in Rome, in Corinth, in Galatia, in Ephesus, in Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, etc., etc. Today, you have local churches across the world, including a little city in Florida called Port St. Lucie. And so the church is here until the rapture. But until that glorious day, we got to make disciples, and the best model I can find for a church that made disciples is the early church. Now, when you study church history, (laughs) you see that the church got way off base. I mean, we're talking selling indulgences to get your loved ones out of Purgatory way off base. Thank you, Martin Luther, for coming and cleaning up that mess. The church got way off base, but we got to get back to the Bible. I love that phrase. Back to the Bible, which leads us to our next point. What is our model? I already told you what our mission is. Our mission is to fulfill the Great Commission, but our model is the early church. And what did they do? By the way, this is the second verse that we built this church on 16 and a half years ago. It's never gonna change. And so they, who's they? The local church, yeah, us too, but um, specifically it's the local church in Acts 2. They devoted themselves, they weren't casual Christians. They didn't go to church once a month, but then if it's sunny on Sunday morning, let's go to the beach, honey, instead of going to church. No. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay, so Peter preaches an amazing sermon. 3,000 people turn to Jesus, get saved. They follow the Lord and believers' baptism. The church is born. Now you got all these people. What did they do? They focused on the four things I have underlined. They focused on the apostles' teaching, okay? And so the original 11, I say 11 because Judas made his choice, okay? So the original 11 were taught by Christ himself the better part of three years. Jesus dies for our sins, rises again, he appears to the 11. Later on, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine, who else did Jesus, the risen Jesus, appear to? What's his name? Paul. The risen Christ appears to Paul. And then Paul goes out to Arabia, the Arabian desert, and he's taught by Christ himself for the better part of three years. My point is, you have the original apostles and Paul who are taught by Christ himself, and because they were taught by Christ himself, they were qualified to teach the church. And we are so thankful, we are so glad that we have their teachings and the teaching of theirs the teachings of their close associates right here in the New Testament. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not believe in apostolic succession. There is no apostolic succession. The apostles left the teachings and this is what is authoritative for our lives, right here. We get back to the Bible. And so, that's the apostles' teaching. How about fellowship? The word koinonia The second word I have underlined there in the Greek, koinonia, it means partnership or community. And so you've heard this before, this phrase, we'll put it on the screen. As a church grows larger, it's got to grow what? Smaller. Smaller. So how can a church grow smaller? Yes, some of you are listening through our groups ministry. Groups are huge. <laughs> Groups are so important, yet so many people resist it. I believe you're resisting the will of God in your life. I believe the enemy doesn't want anybody to go to a Calvary group. Because it's at a Calvary group, even though it's inconvenient, and even though you're tired, and even though you worked all day, and even though you don't want to go. I tell you what, there's sometimes I don't want to go to my Calvary group. That's my flesh. But when I go and I sit for two hours with this group of men and they encourage me and I encourage them, every time I drive home, I think, thank God I got to go. And so go to a Calvary group. Listen, it's in our Calvary groups that you receive personal ministry. You don't get a lot of that in the the corporate worship service. It's in a Calvary group that you pray and be prayed for specifically where you minister and you minister to others specifically, where you are encouraged and where you encourage other people, where you develop friendships with other believers, you actually discuss God's word. I'm so grateful that nobody's raising their hands and wanting to get into a debate with me right now um, because you know, this is the corporate worship service, but you get to discuss God's word in a Calvary group and you can grow as disciples. I wanna make it crystal clear, right? Our weekend services are all about corporate worship and preaching of the word of God. Our groups are all about personal discipleship, prayer, and care. If you heard that, please say amen. amen. That's this. That's the model we have here. We have elders after the service, they're always ready to give personal ministry and prayer to people, but listen, it's in groups where we accomplish that the most. If you're not in a group, and you wanna join a group, you go to calvarypsl.com. You click on next steps, you scroll down to find a group, and you follow the directions. Now, what else did the early church do? They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, okay, that's communion, we believe, first Thursday every month, it's right here, and to prayers. And so because they prayed a lot, they were a powerful church. And as they followed those four things, you go down five verses and you find out that the Lord added to the church day by day those who were being saved. We gotta focus on the four things in this generation so that the Lord continues to grow his church. And so, our mission, fulfill the Great Commission, our model, the early church, and the last point, what is our message? Did you see the three M's? Telling you, I spent 10 years as a Baptist and this alliterated stuff, it just comes out of me, okay? So mission, everybody say mission. Mission. Model. Now message. What's our message? It's the life application verse by verse teaching of God's word. It's right here. This is our message. And so, where do you get that from? The Great Commission. Jesus said, teach them to observe how many things? All. And so in the spring of 2004, I was on staff at Calvary Jupiter, and I was the care pastor. And my wife and I, Stacy, and our three girls were love loving life. We had a beautiful home in Jupiter Farms, an acre and a quarter. I loved my boss, I love our church. I didn't wanna go anywhere. I wanted to stay there for the rest of my life and be a care pastor. But how many many of you guys know that when God calls you, you can't ignore the, the call of the Lord? And so he called my wife and I to plant a church in this town. Now listen, we did it the right way. We got confirmation from our senior pastor who brought us up front and laid hands on us and prayed and sent us out. We had a covering from Calvary Jupiter 16 and a half years ago. But I felt so not ready. (laughs) I went out to the beach, and I just walked and walked for a long time. And I asked the Lord for his direction. And the Lord spoke to me on that beach, I think it was Juneau Beach. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was a witness of the Holy Spirit to my spirit. And he said this, He said, I want you to teach them all things. Now does that sound familiar? It's right there. The Great Commission, teaching them to observe, how many things? All that I've commanded you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you think you're hearing from the Lord, it'll always line up with this book. If you think you're hearing from the Lord and it contradicts this book, throw out what you think you're hearing and follow the book, (laughs) but the Lord spoke to me. And so I have been committed for 16 and a half years to the life application, verse by verse teaching of God's word. What does that mean? That means expository teaching and preaching, verse by verse. Now sometimes we'll take a break, we'll do a topic like we are today. Two weeks ago we had our CCA celebration, it was amazing. But most of the time, what you'll get here at Calvary is the verse by verse, book by book, Teaching of God's Word. And I can't wait to share with you what our next book is going to be.